This is A is for Adversity, a podcast about curating your life stories to connect more deeply with others. Some stories may have Christian undertones, and all stories will involve a realization or transformation of some sort. I'm your host, Jen Banks. This is Season 2, Episode 2, or technically a bonus episode. Some parts may sound choppy because the transitions aren't exactly there. Enjoy some additional parts of my conversation with Matthew and his wife, Alicia. Say hello. Hello. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Very good. Good. Alicia, Alicia's on the other side of the table. She's coming over in a sec. Perfect. So is this the first time both of you have been on a podcast? No, I think we've done one before. Have we done them before, hon? I think we have. Yeah, we have. Yeah, not often. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Well, I ha- I'm I'm in a perpetual state of trying to impress her. You know, I see. I'm yes. only 15 years into this marriage, so I'm still feel like I'm holding on by by a thread. And oh, you are. I am. Yeah. Mm, oh. I feel like I'm more resourceful rather than creative. I just I love collecting knowledge and then sharing it with other people. So, yeah, that's why I just love storytelling because you've taught it so well that I want to just share that with others. So thank you. Thank you for having us on. Yes. Which I don't know, comes back to my fear that I'm more resourceful rather than creative. I feel like it's hard to genuinely or generate your own ideas. You know, I don't know. I think that the more often you say that sentence, the more disservice you do to yourself. That's true. Yeah. You know, I think that that belief. Yeah. I think that's a convenient sentence to avoid the challenging and hard tasks ahead. So I think you should never say that again. I think that everyone has a degree of creativity. I think everyone absolutely has original or interesting ideas to share with others. And uh, I certainly think that you're capable of doing that. Good advice. And it's in recording, right? So I can make sure that I listen to that advice. (laughs) And Alicia agrees with everything I just said. I 100% agree with that. That's awesome. Yeah, that's true. That is a very limiting belief. Okay. Negative self-talk. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Uh Yeah. But cleverly twisted in positive self-talk, you know, it's like, you know, it it was a clever way of, you know, saying you can't do something um, when you can. Fun fact, Matthew Dix is also a life coach and I totally got coached by him in this episode. I didn't expect it to happen, but it was mm, really good. One of those moments where somebody points out something that you didn't notice because your blinders were on. And then one more thing before we start, I just wanted to tell you my favorite episodes of your podcast. Well, the favorite stories that have been on there. And so the first one is Bobby Clow, which I know you guys talk about her a lot. And her story, The Perfect Gift, is my favorite. I feel like I could tell a story similar to that because that's kind of the relationship I have with my husband, but obviously nowhere to the degree because she's amazing. But maybe I'll get there someday. I love that story too. I Little pieces of it come to my mind a lot. Yes. And then my other favorite is by Sue Huggins, The Handling Money Story. That is the most genuinely surprised I've ever been in a story. And so I love that because it just goes right along with preserving surprise. Yes. Yeah, you're right. You think she's going to like do it and then she ends up just being like her father. Is that the yeah. one with the bracelet? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yep. yep. We can either do this now or we can save it for a little bit later, but I'd like to have a mini workshop of sorts. Sure. Yeah, we could do that. Okay. So I was 
looking back through my homework for life book, which I know it hasn't been too long because I just started this in February. So I didn't have a whole lot of the passage of time, but a few that I found that I wanted to talk about were, so I realized that I don't need to fix people, my husband, my mother-in-law. So what do you feel like would be the opposite of that? The realization that you don't have to fix people? Mm -hmm. Oh, well, it's the belief that you can fix people. You have to find a point in your life where you are attempting to fix your husband, believing that you could make him into the better version of himself. And then, as I say, some stuff happens and you come to the realization that uh, you should not fix people. You should accept them for who they are. I don't actually fundamentally believe in what we are saying right now. I do believe in fixing people. But, but if that is your realization, that is, that is what it would be. So, you know, you would, I'm sure you can think of moments in your life where you attempted to sort of fix one of these loved ones or multiple loved ones. And then obviously you had something happen that caused you to realize that this is not a good idea. Got it. Okay. And then another story is I was going to the store and I was putting my son in his car seat and I put my wallet on top of the car. Of course, I didn't remember to grab it and I drove off and then I spent hours looking for that wallet. And then Later that night, a couple stopped by and they had my wallet and they'd found the address on my driver's license. And they said, oh yeah, we just picked it up because we didn't know when you'd be home. So we just stopped by later. And so I guess the opposite of that would be if they're good, nice people, then the opposite would be finding an example of someone that wasn't nice or... I don't know how you feel about the world, Jen, but if it was a situation where you sort of didn't have a lot of faith in humanity... You know, you were disappointed in the world in some way. If when those people showed up at your door, you thought like, my God, there are good people in the world. I can't believe it. The opposite of that would have to be a moment in your life where you sort of are convinced, you're convinced that the, the world is a terrible place and that most people are bad and people look to do, you know, the wrong thing and people are unhelpful, which probably is also an easy thing to find, you know, a moment in your life when you sort of, you know, disappointment in humanity. Yes, disappointment into humanity into that, you know, to that amazing moment where they show up and you realize, my God, maybe the world is okay after all, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's perfect. Both of those stories, I would just add that I would not tell either one of those stories chronologically because they're stories that feel like they're going to take place over a long period of time. So like in the story we're talking about right now, I think I would have a knock at the door and the door opens and there's two old people there and there's something in their hand and you can't believe that they're holding it. That's really good. Right. And then backstory into the badness of humanity all the way up to this moment. And then the reveal is what they're holding, which is the wallet. And then you have faith in humanity again. So beautiful. And I have one more like that. I'm decorating a cake and it's not going well. And so the line that I have is the cake is falling apart and I'm struggling to hold it together as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so um, I think that's another one that I have to start in the middle and then do backstory. I love events. I love parties and I'm such a perfectionist when it comes to that. And so then this was an instance where it was not going well and the guests were going to show up in like 10 minutes and I thought it was going to be okay. And yeah. So, so wait, so there in that story, what is the realization that happens to you? I feel like there's a couple different ways that it could go, but I like when one of your guests on your podcast said that she's a reformed perfectionist. And so I feel like that's kind of the realization where it's going is because it ended up being okay and I was stressed out about it, but you know, you can't control everything and sometimes things fall apart. Oh, so, so that story and its thesis statement is 
I thought things needed to be a certain way in order for everything to work out well. Mm-hmm. And then stuff happens, which is the disaster. And yet everything seems to be fine, right? Yeah. Yep. And so it's, I thought everything needed to be perfect. And then some stuff happened and I discovered perfection is not required for people to have a good time. Ooh, right. Love it. Yes. Yeah. Good. Yeah. That's a good story. Cause I believe in that quite a bit. I, I mean, I guess. Relatable. Yeah. No, I believe in that. What do you mean? I know you believe in it, but but the statement of like that's a good story because I believe in it. Well, it's, it's sorry. You've got to be careful because it's a good story because I agree with it. Right. There, <laughs> there might be good stories that you don't agree with. That's true. You're agreeing with it is not what makes something a good story. I guess what I like about it is the simplicity of it and the relatability of it. I feel that that is an utterly relatable story. Whereas your story about mm-hmm. the the lack of faith in humanity. I'm not sure how many people feel that. I think some people feel that, but I also believe there are some people that would not connect with that because they already feel good about the world already. Whereas I think everyone has a certain degree of perfectionism or expectation that things need to be a certain way in order for things to go well. And then um, I think it's common for us to go, oh, well, nothing worked out the way I planned and yet everything seems to be fine, you know? I think there are a lot of people who would relate to your story about having a lack of faith. And even if it's not a, like a universal feeling, I think everyone has had situations where they have hopes and expectations that people don't come through for them. Yes, that's true. So, and then to your point too, that you don't have to agree with it to be a good story. You kind of said that when you didn't agree with my, you don't have to fix people. So, you know, I had a variety there. (laughs) I actually think it's much more interesting when the story is either something we fully agree with or something we completely disagree with. You know, I, I've been making the point to people that Red Sox and Yankee fans actually get along a lot better than Red Sox and Toronto Blue Jay fans because those two teams have nothing sort of in common. They're just ships in the night passing by. Whereas if I meet a Red Sox fan, I can go for two hours with that person mm-hmm. discussing our teams and sort of, you know, battling it out verbally Whereas if I meet a San Diego Padres fan, I don't even know what to do with that person. I, I can't even understand why they're Padre fans to begin with. So I think that that polarization of agreement or disagreement is often really helpful in storytelling. Okay, so that was my set of three because, you know, perfect number, right? <laughs> so you always say. Yes, it is. Yeah. So in all three of those stories, they were moments of realization. And so do you feel like you have more moments of realization than transformation? I know I have a few moments of transformation, but I feel like that's the harder of the two. Like you always say, incremental steps is how we change. Yes. And I, I just think we tend to change our mind more often than we change the person who we are in some mm. fundamental way. Well, I mean, it would also like, it's way easier to realize something than to transform. Transformation is a long involved process that probably begins with realization, but you know, is, is way more multi-layered. Yeah, although you can have transformations that are very small. Like my, my key story is, yes. could be contextualized both ways. It is either the realization that I've been selfish today, but it's also the transformation in that I am occasionally less selfish and that is a genuine transformation. Yes. Yes. But I, I like the word occasionally in that story a lot because I would never want to tell a story where I sort of am suddenly angelic, even if I even if I am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to say you are. You honey. are uh-huh. angelic. Angelic, yeah. 
And then right. probably also with transformation, it's a longer process and we may be in the middle of it before we notice that we're even transforming or, you know, yeah. it could go a lot of ways. Yep. Okay. This next part is where Alicia describes the dining dead, which was a part of her story in how she fell in love with Matt. Do you know the movie um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind? Mm-mm. Oh my gosh, that's a fascinating movie. And um, there's a scene in it. It's uh, Jim Carrey is in that movie. And there's a scene in it where he talks about the dining dead. And the dining dead are when you go out and you see couples having a meal together and having nothing to say to each other. And that is my nightmare. That is like my living nightmare. And my own parents always talk and talk like all the time. And I spent so much time growing up with them in the car and always they would talk, they bicker, but they would always talk. And that moment in um, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind really stuck with me about the dining dead. I didn't know most of that story or some of that story. I didn't know about the dining dead part. Oh, really? No. Oh, that's the thing. I think about that a lot. Yeah, I had never heard that before. That's good. I feel like a lot of pressure now at the next time we eat. I worry about it. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you can like go out and not have to like yammer at each other the whole time. You can have comfortable silence. But like my greatest fear is like, what if we have nothing to talk about? Even though we may have something to talk about all the time, we're often, you know, happily sitting next to each other, not talking, you know, and, yeah. that, and that is fine too. It's different, though, in the car than in a restaurant. Sure. Yes. That is true. And when you're married, too, because now you're stuck with him. <gasps> right. Well, there's always those moments, too, where I say, she says, you know, and I go, you don't have to say it. I right. Know. Well, there's that problem, too. Like, right. we could just communicate telepathically. And right. so we look like the dining dead, but we're actually having a, just a telepathic conversation. Yeah. I love it. And I can relate to that dining dead thing, too, because when my husband and I were dating, I would make lists of things that we should talk about. At that time, I, I was kind of like you. I didn't want to run out of things to say or talk about. <laughs> Don't want to make it right. awkward. I think having a list of topics is a super great idea. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. And then this is my favorite question. What story currently defines your relationship as a couple? Oh. A story that I've told or just any story? Just any story. I know what it is. You know uh, what story defines our relationship? Oh, yeah. Oh, really? It's the one about... um. It's the one about Charlie and eating. Oh, it's the one about Charlie and eating. Okay. So the story about, I don't know if I've ever, if it's ever been on the podcast. I don't know, but I think it's in your book. Yeah, I might reference it in the book. It's the, it's a story about Alicia knowing that I was hungry as a boy without me actually telling her I was hungry as a boy. Yes. You think that's the one? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, because it's, um, it's about knowing and understanding each other. Okay. All right. Yeah. And I feel like that's good because in relationships, sometimes you know a lot more about your spouse than they do in certain aspects. So that's good. But how about this one as a defining story? I agree with Alicia what, with what she says. However, there was a time last year where Alicia got COVID. And so she was quarantined upstairs for 10 days. We could not see each other. And so I was downstairs teaching my students, beaming into the smart board to teach them lessons taking care of our two children who were then simultaneously quarantined with their work and basically keeping everyone alive, sleeping on the couch, watching Springsteen on Broadway to keep my spirits up. And 
During that time, Clara had her birthday and somehow from upstairs in her quarantine state, Alicia made sure that like there was a continual flow of people driving by the house that day to wish Clara a happy birthday. And there were balloons and fruit baskets coming into the house, even though Alicia was not present for anything that was happening. All of these things were taking place. And at night, when I would read Harry Potter to the kids, Alicia would normally be with us. We would Zoom and we would put the laptop between the kids. So it would be Alicia's face on the laptop and then the two kids on either side while I was reading. Mm. And I think that sort of defines a different part of our relationship, which is the part where uh, I just feel like Alicia and I work really well together to keep our family and each other and our children happy and supported. And like, that was the most extreme example of that situation where we couldn't physically be together in any way. And yet we, I felt like for 10 days we were, we were like this, even though we were consistently 18 feet apart and unable to see each other. We're a good team. Yeah. Yeah, and that's was, really good. It was interesting to be not with her physically and yet feeling like we were still operating as a mother, father, husband, wife, in a, and keeping things moving along and taking care of each other. Yeah. So that would be my story. But I like hers too. Yeah, I know. And it's true. Like you said, it defines different parts of your relationship. So I'm sure there's countless examples. It's, it's a hard question because there's so many you could choose from. So, Yeah, that's a good story, actually. That's going to be a moth story. That COVID story is going to be a moth story now. Mm -hmm. I just figured it all out saying it out loud. So I got a new story. Yeah. yeah. What are your favorite inspirational quotes, each of you, if you have one? It's kind of like that story that defines your relationship. There's a lot of quotes that come to mind, I'm sure. But if you have a favorite or... I have one, but it's long. I have to read it to you. I thought you were going to do a truth universally known as that. Well, that's the, I mean, that's the best. It's, it's terrible. <laughs> that's just the opening line of Pride and Prejudice. She likes the opening line of Pride and Prejudice, which is really like anti-feminist in every way. Well, it's tongue in cheek. All right. Anyway, what does it tell? Because some people will not know. What's the first line of Pride and Prejudice? It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a fortune must be in want of a wife. Right. Uh, I, you know, I have lots of sort of quotes that run through my head all the time, but one that has run through my head for my entire life uh, or almost my entire life, it was told to me in sixth grade uh, by a teacher and she said, a positive mental attitude is your key to success. That's what she told me. Uh, I remember I was being grumpy one day and I was just assuming the worst. And she said to me, she said, listen to me, Matthew, a positive mental attitude is your key to success. And I don't, it, you know, if you know me at all, you know, I basically walk through life attempting to be positive. You know, Alicia has said I am what was it? Oppressively optimistic. Oppressively optimistic, <laughs> right. And I believe that is that idea of like a positive mental attitude is your key to success. It frustrates people sometimes because I'll say like, listen, in an hour, none of this is going to matter. So it's all fine. Let's just do this thing. And two hours from now, we won't even care that it happened. And people have said like, yes, but we're in it right now. Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm like, well, let's just be positive about it. Come on, let's do it. And they're like, you know, that's not 
automatic. You can't just be positive. But th that is something I think every single day, at least once that teacher told me that, and I've let that run through my life. I think, I suspect, honestly, it's because I was a kid who would go home to a mess every day and sort of the way I would get through the day at my house would be a positive mental attitude is your key to success. So as I was dealing with a broken home and, you know, a disastrous situation, I think that I was just constantly thinking, you know, don't be like those people is really probably what I was thinking. You know, don't be like those people you live with a positive mental attitude, which is never what was role modeled in my home. I thought, I okay. think that's what I was thinking all the time. I thought of mine. Okay. And it's really similar to yours. Oh. And I think about it so often that I didn't even like think of it, mm -hmm. but my guiding principle in life is very similar to that. And it's from Lizzo. And it's, um, when she says, uh, when I'm shining, everybody going to shine. And it's the same. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's good. Yeah. I've collected inspirational quotes since I was in sixth grade. And so I weaved a lot of the quotes through my first season of my podcast. And I plan to continue to do that because it's such a part of me. But thank you for sharing your favorite quotes. That was good. There's okay. another one that's yeah. by Emerson. That's the one that I can't, that I don't have memorized. Mm. But it's... Um, What's the message? The message is that when like at the end of the day you put the day's nonsense to bed and you start your next day fresh without dwelling on the nonsense of the day before that's good you're not very good at that though no i'm not good at it which is why i wrote it down <laughs> in any number of places so that i can be like what did emerson i mean no offense what but... did emerson tell me to do no i'm bad at it but i'm like what did emerson tell me to do all right i'm gonna do that Mm -hmm. I'm going to test that now. I'm going to be like, honey, that was oh, yesterday's nonsense. I'll be pissed off if you do that against <laughs> me, so okay. don't. Um, are you still keeping your dot journal? Is that quote written in there? <laughs> it, it is. Here. That's what I was doing right before I got on with you is setting oh. up for this week. That's yes. right. I write it, but I don't have it in this one because this is still a fairly new one. Yeah. Shoot, you've been through three? Okay. And how are they formatted? Because I know that you talk about preparing for your week. Are they just by day or things you have to do? Oh. Right. So this is how I set it up. I've gone through different formats through at different times. But right now, I have one, I make a, a weekly calendar. So I have spots for all the seven days with space to write the things that I'm doing each day. And then I have um, like a master to-do list from the week. And then this weekend we're going away. So I made like a mini to-do list for, for the things I need to do for our trip. But in the past, I've also like done um, like a place where I'm record what I'm going to serve for dinner each night, but I haven't been, I've, it's, and I also used to have a spot where I would write down notes that I wanted to remember for the following week, but it just changes, you know, over time. And this is what's working for me right now. Did it's you good. have to remind yourself about our 15th anniversary? It's not a reminder. It's just like, yay. Okay. She put a little heart next to it. A little, it's a little, there's a little heart. Yeah. yeah. And that's cool. 15th anniversary on the 15th. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah. And I agree with you fully. Stickers make everything better. Yes. Oh, I love feel my stickers. <laughs> yes. That's awesome. I love it. You keep one? No, I don't, but I have wanted to, so I might start. I love it. That's yeah. my productivity. I, that is, I am not like Matt, but that is my productivity is my dot journal. 
Yes. That's funny. Yeah. Some of my favorite recordings that I have, I have recordings from Speak Up of my story with her commentary before and after. And I have those, I have like a file of the ones that I love the most that I will listen. I just listen to sometimes. I didn't know that. Yeah, I know. But I listen to them sometimes because I just love to listen to her um, talk before the story and then interact after the story. I I like, I know that when I'm a hundred, I'll still be listening to those, those moments that we had together because they're really moments we had together sort of on stage in front of a whole Mm -hmm. bunch of people and she's being brilliant and delightful and I'm telling a story and I think I'm going to share them with the kids someday. I just love those little moments. And so I always save my story with her introduction and follow. Nice. That's very cute. And it reminds me too of, you told this recently about how you heard from another woman who was sitting next to Alicia when she was listening to one of your stories and how enamored she was or proud of you that she was. And so that was so cute that you shared that too. So yes, she tries to hide that whenever possible. So it was nice to hear. Yes, I hide it. That's Uh right. I don't want you to know Mm -hmm. how proud you are. How proud I am. (laughs) When Matt's first book came out, people would be like, are you selling them from your car? I'd be like, no, they're real books. Like you go to a bookstore and get them. Right. You know, they'd want it. They'd be like, should I bring you money? I'm like, no, I can't sell them to you. You have to go to a bookstore. Yes. Wherever you get books, you can find my books. books. That's awesome. Happy anniversary. Thank you. Thank you. See ya. Bye. Happy anniversary to you too. Thanks. If you'd like to pitch your story for the podcast, or if you want more storytelling strategies, contact me at jenbanks16 at gmail.com or find me on Instagram at jenbankscoaching.